Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm William Chen. And I'm Sarah Watt. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. This month, we are discussing Flea, which came out last year, but has had general release this side of, of the new year, and Persepolis, which came out in 2007? Mm-hmm. 2007, and the connection being they are both biographical um, stories of refugees leaving, I guess, war-torn countries, uh, and those stories are told through the medium of animation, which is quite a niche, uh, quite a niche <laughs> genre, animated war-torn refugee biography films. Uh, Please be warned that we will be spoiling both of these films. So if you haven't seen them, I suggest pausing this episode and coming back to it at a future date. And to know that William and I are sitting in my dining area in Auckland. And Sarah, would you like to tell the listeners where you are calling in from? I'm currently in the glamorous city of London in the United Kingdom. Uh, Yes. Very exciting. Sending you lots of love. And we are, it's Saturday morning for us. It's Friday night for Sarah. So whilst we're uh, accompanying our chat with cups of coffee. And under pouring rain. Pouring rain, which feels like it's London weather. uh, Sarah is enjoying a lovely glass of Prosecco. Mm, And we've had stunning weather, beautiful sunshine, and spring is springing. So there you go, guys. Totally the antithesis of your world. (laughs) Spring has sprung. All right, well, let's start with Flea. So Flea is an animated documentary, and it tells the story of Amin, who grows up in Denmark, and the story is told through conversations between Amin and his friend, who is a filmmaker. Uh, And the filmmaker admits that as they grew up as high school students, he was not aware of of the full story and knew that Amin wasn't ready to talk about it. Um, But what transpires is a range of conversations that I guess are recorded over an extended period of time, um, and, and covers Amin's journey from leaving Afghanistan. And uh, it has to be done through animation to keep the identities of the, the key players private because, you know, and, and confidential because there's real um, repercussions if this was to come out, like people being deported or potentially being imprisoned. So, yeah, it's, it's told through that medium. And just have to say that this film has been nominated at the Academy Awards in three categories Best international film, best animated film, and best documentary film, which Amazing. is which is unprecedented. I don't think that's ever mm. happened before. Um, it, it could have been nominated for best picture, which would have been quite exciting. Mm. And the, the four best of <laughs> categories. Yeah, but that's Flea. I'm going to hand it over to William to give us an introduction of our other film. All right, thanks, Jeremy. So Persepolis. Well, before I go into that, guys, guys, guys. Last last night, so I I watched a visually resplendent movie from Iranian-French auteur and comic book artist extraordinaire Marjan Satrapi, featuring a protagonist who keeps receiving advice from these mystical, metaphysical mentors about life's mysteries. It is darkly comic, with sometimes shocking bursts of violence that really make you uncomfortable to your core. There are strong underlying themes of women's voices being silenced, by patriarchal nightmare, and it all culminates in something that I think could be or could not be seen as closure. But enough about the voices, everybody. Do you guys remember that one? No. <laughs> What's the voices? No. Do you know, Sarah? 
The Voice <laughs> no, is Majan Satrapi's, I think, 2014 film starring Ryan, Ryan Reynolds, where he um, keeps hearing his dog and cat tell him to murder various girlfriends. And he <laughs> buries their bodies in the woods and keeps their heads in, um, in, I guess, his fridge, and the heads start talking to him. And it's... A very strange, strange movie. Back when Ryan God, uh, Gosling, Ryan Reynolds did interesting stuff. Did you say Ryan Reynolds? Yes. Wow. So this is seven years after she had already hit the big time with Persepolis, because Persepolis was two thousand seven. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, it was back when you know Ryan Reynolds was doing more interesting stuff than just playing Deadpool all the time, mm. and um, she had made uh, Chicken and Plums, which is kind of a also kind of biographical story about uh, members of her family uh, back in the nineteen fifties, and then she followed up the voices with Radioactive, uh, the Marie Curie biopic in twenty nineteen. Well, thank you, William. Uh, the voices one to what one to watch? I think so. I think so. That's <laughs> not bad. Excellent. Well, uh, we'll see how many connections uh, we can make to that film, as well as Flea and Persepolis. Um, Sarah, I'm going to hand it over to you. You start with either movie. What? Where are you at? What are you thinking? What is the London springy air giving you away? <laughs> so the first thing to say is I watched Flea several weeks ago um, and was completely bowled over by it, so completely endorse all of those Oscar nominations. And, uh, and it was incredibly affecting, as I'm sure we will all agree, uh, I would be shocked if we didn't. Um, and of course, quite sobering and upsetting in many ways. So then I just recently watched Pers- Persepolis and uh, I'd thought maybe I'd seen it before, but it turns out I hadn't seen it before at all, but I knew the poster totally new of the film and just had never got round to it yet. So what I did is I made two columns in my little notebook and I've got Persepolis on one side and Flea on the other. And it's actually remarkable, isn't it? How many similarities there are. And I don't just mean the fact that they're animated, but there were so many aspects that I was like, oh, oh, that's similar in in, uh, in each of the films. And I loved Persepolis. And I found it completely engaging from go to woe. Um, it's beautifully paced. Uh, well, I guess we should talk about really the, the fact that both stories are about young people, um, actually both with idyllic childhoods initially until the uprisings in each of their respective uh, uh, t- cities and, and countries, right? Uh, Persepolis, obviously, in Tehran, in um, Iran, and um uh, and Amin is growing up in Kabul in Afghanistan. Uh, and it's lovely how there is this depiction, isn't there, of the, 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 the idyllic childhood, the strong family relationships, and then literally all hell breaks loose for each of them. And then in, in different ways, they are both sort of forced to leave their home country, often leave important people behind and, and, uh, and sort of um, break out into a, a, a difficult new life. Um, I thought both were absolutely tremendous, and I think we've got heaps to say about each of them. Yeah, I watched Persepolis back when it came out in 2007. I would have been working at the Embassy Theatre at the time, and I probably saw it at one of the film festival sessions, and it really stuck with me. It really stuck with me, and so I hadn't seen it until I watched it earlier this week uh, since then. And um, the things that really stand out in that movie, it's, it's very funny. Like the scenes where they're doing the live drawing of, of the female figure and <laughs> mm. she's covered in head to toe in, <laughs> in, um, 
in a was well, burqa hajib i'm not sure what the right right um right phrases mm-hmm, for what they're mm-hmm. wearing or the um is a botticelli uh um, dawn of um, venus the venus painting and it's all scribbled out uh which Thanks. is very yes, funny the and venus. yeah with all the nudities yeah that's right censored yeah. out yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I did see uh, Perceptus at the Auckland uh, Film Festival in t- 2007. Um, I remember reading the comic uh, close to where it came out. It was in our library. So Perceptus 1, I think it was in 2000, and Perceptus 2, 2003, I want to say. And just following along, the comics are amazing. I think uh, Majang Satrapi mm. is a very, very good draftswoman, and uh, so much life comes out of those, those frames. And really mm. excited to see the movie in 2007. And I remember really, really enjoying it as well. Um, this time around, again, I haven't seen it for over 10 years. Uh, I have, I guess, more mixed feelings than you guys uh, about the film, um, mostly to do with its storytelling and pacing. But it just, for some reason, felt very dated, uh, specifically to that mid-aughts style of animation and of storytelling. Um, and maybe that's because I, I saw Flea um, just a couple of days prior, and Flea is very much a 2021 movie, right? It has stylistic flourishes that remind me of TV shows or, um, uh, you, you know, true crime documentaries or, the, like, this stuff that we do now, um, you know, 10, 15 years on, that just wasn't in the vogue or even in a filmmaker's vocabulary yeah, right. back in 2007. Yeah. Um, so uh, very interestingly, that was something that really jumped out at me. I agree with you, William. I really enjoyed the first part of the film. What What, what is Perseus 1 and 2? Where does the break happen? Uh, the break happens when she goes to Vienna uh, as a kid. And right. so Perseus 2 starts off with her coming of age in Vienna and Austria and then ends with her leaving once again from Iran to Paris. Right. I, I feel like the film for me sort of, I don't want to say dies because it's still great, but it definitely loses its pace when she um, returns to Iran. I feel like her journey of depression and getting back on track and then kind of, it just sort of ends with her going back to, does she go to Paris or back to uh yeah, as she goes back to Paris yeah. from Tehran. It's um, not really an end. It just doesn't feel like an ending. <laughs> it just sort of ends because that's where she got to in her life. Um, is she the director as well? She is. She She's is. the one that yes. went on and made yeah. the films we were talking about earlier. Yes, yes. So wow. she co-directed Perceptus with um, Vincent uh, Parounot, who is also a comic book artist. Uh, and I, a lot of the production crew and animators were also comic book artists. Um, and it was produced at a time when France wasn't really making 2D animated stuff anymore because... You know, after Pixar and the Shreks of the world, like all the production houses were moving into CGI. Mm. And so I think reading a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that a lot of them had to relearn like more traditional techniques. One thing I'm interested in, and you may know my you may know the answer to my question, particularly William. I thought it was really interesting that Persepolis is in English um, and it has Catherine Deneuve who obviously is French and she is uh, one of the characters in a French accent mm. and it has the real Marjane uh, Satrapi uh, and her voice but it also has Sean Penn not making any effort at all to be either uh, Iranian or uh, French and that's not a criticism at all I actually no seriously <laughs> I really liked I mean we're not this is not House of Gucci thankfully so um <laughs> House of Gucci yeah, I really enjoyed hearing Sean Penn's voice. And and you you probably know that Uncle Anoush is uh, played by Iggy Pop, for crying out loud. So um, 
I thought it was interesting that it was in English with American accents. Um, because, but would there have I, I been a French version of the film? Did you? Yeah, That's I interesting. The original version is in French, so it's the English dub. Ah, yeah. I accidentally watched the English dub and was perfectly with that. I also watched the English dub, um, which is interesting. Yeah, it is. Uh, it does feel tonally different from the French dub, if I recall. Ah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, but but of course, you know, Champagne and the others do a decent job. Yes. Okay. Okay. Right. That would make sense because I saw the film had won Caesar's uh, César, and uh, obviously, if it's going to win the French Academy Awards, I didn't think it was going to be an American. So, got ya. Okay. Now, interestingly or not, um, Flea, of course, is Danish through and through. Obviously, it also has uh, uh, other languages, uh, Arabic, a uh, bit of English and so on and so forth, um, and Russian, obviously, but it is ostensibly uh, a foreign film, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, just on a side note, it's interesting that they have started calling it international, which makes sense to me why they would do this, but international feature um, as a way to denote a film that I guess is in a language other than English is really what they're getting at because it could be international features from an American perspective that are still but in the BAFTAs which we just had the other night uh, which is a total letdown by the way um, (laughs) they do call it film not in the English language that's the name of the category but you're absolutely right you can't call something a foreign film anymore because it sounds um, I don't know uh, like you're from the empire uh, which we all are but uh, you know you can't (laughs) do that anymore so yes that's right Mm. yeah true i found the films you know like you said at the start sarah there's a lot of connections to be made in terms of the journey of both of those characters and i think the separation from family is a big one and you know what what is the compromise for being able to quote unquote live in a free nation um and yeah just the traumas that both of those characters go through and it's it's really sad. I guess with um, Persepolis, she does have that ability to go home and she does have that ability to uh, reconnect with her family. But in Flea, you know, the whole family are, are well, separated. Although even with Persepolis, I mean, the final line of the book and one of the final lines of the movie is, you know, freedom comes at a price and she never sees yes. her grandmother again. Um, yes. And that's that's the cost of her leaving the Iranian society. Right. And we can only assume, right, that hopefully Sean Penn and Catherine Deneuve make it over to see her um, in, in her new life, but that she mm. does not return to Iran and that's the price that she has to pay. Do you know, can I just say on that note, I... Yeah. One thing I absolutely love about documentary per se, and and particularly these two films, is how much I learn about a culture about which I know nothing, um, people's lives that I haven't experienced. And I found both films incredibly rich in terms of, um, you know, devastating insights into how other people have had to live. And I thought it was absolutely fascinating that in Flea, and obviously this is a spoiler, um, Amin has to lie about the whereabouts or the existence of his family in order to count as a refugee and how that is a shame that he carries with him it's a lie that he carries with him through relationships through his life um up until pretty much the the making of this film and it's interesting to me because as i'm watching it i'm i'm mindful i was mindful that we tend to sort of think well refugees need to be honest 
and they need to be um, without, um, what's the word, without recourse or whatever. And if we're if they're coming into the country, then we expect them to be honest, law abiding, blah, 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 blah. And that, that's really interesting when suddenly you have somebody and you realize, well, crikey, he had to lie in order to survive. I would not begrudge him that. And yet he's breaking the rules. Do you get what I mean? And I'm not making, I do not have any issue with his breaking the rules, but can you see where I'm coming from? And I say this within the context of being in the UK right now, where 100,000 people in Britain have, are opening their homes or have said they will open their homes to Ukrainian refugees. All the news here is Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. And there will be an expectation wow. that these Ukrainians turn up and that they are all good people, sad people, need to be looked after. And of course, it will be a melange of human life and human existence. And, and there will be people who lie and there will be people who, who are not entirely um, upfront about their situation. And I think it's important that we understand why people may be forced to be that way. Do you know what I mean? And that that is how desperate life can be. And that's what I learned most of all from Amin's situation. I, I find that really interesting what you're talking about, Sarah. And, and it, you know, it's that idea of sort of the, the generosity of hospitality, but then all of the trappings that go along with that and the kind of classism, um, you know, xenophobia, racism that can so easily be sit alongside exactly what you're talking about is this expectation that refugees or if we look at poverty and you know in this country or you know different different classes of people that you should just be mm. happy that we're helping you you know kind of perspectives mm. yeah mm. And I, I find it i find it fascinating and flee how the central lie it's yes obviously it will lead to um certain very very negative repercussions to our mom if, if it had come out but throughout the film, uh, it seems like the main repercussion is within, right? Like the social services and yes. the Danish, you know, the Danish government um, is shown to be extremely supportive of um, him as an asylum seeker. Um, his Danish friends and uh, loved ones are all generally, you know, very, very supportive, regardless of whether they, they know his history or not. And yet the main conflict uh, it lies within himself because of the guilt and the the, the almost crushing knowledge that he is he is basically killing his family right for lack of a better term like it's he, he is creating a reality around him where they do not exist and it, it really weighs upon him by the end of the film and also if you think about the way that the repercussions for one's identity it had never occurred to me until watching the film he spends mm. I don't remember, 10 years, 15, whatever, saying my family are all dead and having to live that identity. So there is going to be a change in his mindset, right? Because if you tell yourself something enough times, you know, but you, I don't mean you start to believe it, but obviously you start to live it. And so to be, to have to be in denial about family who do exist and who you would like to go visit and you would crave to see again must be an extraordinary I, I don't know. I can't really get my head around what that would be like to have to do that and to live it, you know. So I hear what you're saying. Yeah, there's a guilt because you're there, there's the I'm denying them. I'm almost sort of um, uh, relegating them to non-existence. But it's also something that you start to feel and live. And when you're meeting people, you're having to perpetuate this lie. Um yeah, it just yeah, it just kind of blew my mind actually. So yes, 
And the the moment in the film where he says his final goodbyes to his family before um, he boards the van of the human human trafficker. Oh, that's a very depressing, <laughs> a very depressing sentence. Um, it's it's so beautifully done because you don't you don't see the goodbye, right? You don't see the farewell or the hugs or the final well wishes. All you see are his mother and brother like high above in their apartment balcony and their tiny little hands waving. And it's from his point of view, from the window of the van and the mm. van you know, pulls around the corner and they just disappear from view. And it's, it's chilling and it's mm. so sad. I find the historical aspects of both stories really interesting as well, because I am not an expert in, uh, you know, the history of Af- Afghanistan or Iran. You know, I know little bits and pieces through uh, various pop cultural stories, but it's always from the American perspective because that's the majority of the stories that we get about such topics. And whilst you might have your homelands and your things that try and bring about some complexity, it's very much in a post kind of war-torn context. Mm. And I really appreciate it, like you said, Sarah, seeing both of these countries, um, I I guess, in in a much more progressive um, stage Mm. and before these... um, well, they already were oppressive regimes, but I guess more oppressive regimes would come in. And speaking of Americans, I think it's really interesting how both films are staunchly anti-American. Yes. Um, and very much of the of the pointed message that the Americans came in and really mucked things up. Absolutely. Interfered. Yeah. Well, and the British yeah. as well, right? And Persepolis, yeah. you know, how the British were funding both sides. Oh, was yeah. that the British or was that the Americans yep. that they said were doing that? Yeah. Well, and, uh, well the British um, in the beginning, but then the Americans coming into selling weapons to Iraq and Iran and kind of fueling That's um, right. The, right. That, that whole war. Which, yeah. 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 Dreadful. Yeah. And just to think that, you know, and I've known this before, but to see it in this way where the United States were funding the the um, Mujahideen, Mujahideen yeah. soldiers. You know, William posted in our in our chat, our group chat, a, a clip of or a freeze frame of Rambo three, <laughs> dedicating the film to the bravery of the the, the, the Mujahideen fighters and the, you know down with the Soviets. Yeah, mm, which is mm. just such a arm of propaganda in the United States, yeah. and um, and then to think of how much they then retaliated against that group it's just it just goes to sh- and i feel very i turned to josh my boyfriend we were watching flea and i said oh this is very pointed at a time where like we watched it the week that the um assault on ukraine mm-hmm. began by again. The, by russia mm-hmm. by russia and just the fact they were in russia and you know the united states were involved, i feel very pertinent and mm-hmm. relevant to this time yeah mm-hmm. In terms of tiny stylistic um, similarities that I wasn't expecting, um, I I liked how in Flea, um, the, um, the, his American, well, in fact, Belgian, but his American sort of heartthrob on the wall was Jean-Claude Van Damme. And yeah. that um, Marjan's uh, um, idol was Bruce Lee. Yeah. You know? And then um, she's really into Iron Maiden. And then there's the fantastic bit in Flea where they use, which of course you're going to with an animated film, I guess. They use the idea of Aha's Take On Me video to, yes. uh, and they play the, the song and they, they, they manipulate the animation. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so apt. And so I really loved how both films had those sort of pop cultural, and of course they would, but you know, pop cultural, um, yeah, uh, ideation, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And and the mere fact that, you know, um, you see people watching movies and telenovelas on TV as well of the time, right? 
Um, it, it, in three, what do they watch? Bloodsport? Is, is that what they're, they're seeing? It could be. Um, yeah. And in, in, in Persepolis, they're watching Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it's, it's just such, I mean, also very pointed observations of kind of the influence of Western culture and kind of this, this you know, what they're talking what the oppressive governments are talking about with Western decadence, like this is it. Well, that wonderful sequence in Persepolis where she goes to get the, the tape and there's all of those guys with trench coats going, Iron Maiden, yeah. Abba, Jekyll Humperdinck or whatever. You know, just... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> wonderful. And in terms of identity, again, interesting, one film is obviously about the oppression of uh, women um, within uh, Iran and the religious or the hyper-religious context. And Flea is, um, if not about the oppression of um, homosexuals, it's it's very much a story of identity and not feeling that one can be oneself until very much later in one's life. Um, And so both films have that really strong uh, message and sort of through line as well, don't they? Yeah, the sexuality message is really strong in both movies. Mm. And it's quite surprising because I guess it it highlights a couple Mm. of things to me, which is one, that this is um, about nations that are sort of promoted internationally as being very oppressive sexually to people. Um, It's made in European countries, which from my understanding are much more open with their sexuality. And it's in contrast to American films, which are actually far more conservative than Mm. might seem on the surface, especially when it comes to discussions of sex and sexuality. You know, sex is very often used in American films to denote Mm. a relationship that is blossoming as opposed to any kind of real um, Mm. discussion of what what that means for people. And it's really fascinating. I I remember that sequence Mm. in Persepolis. One of the key things that stood out to me is when she has that moment with that she got that boy that she's fallen in love with and then they sleep together and he, he goes, I realized I'm gay, you know, like just, yes! like, and then just an absolute depression afterwards. Um, and equally that, you know, cause you know, I'm in a sort of my boyfriend, so any gay story is going to stand out to us, but that sequence mm. where he tells his brothers and his brother and his sisters and the brother gets him in the car and you think, Oh no, what is gonna, like, mm. we were both, I was like, I don't want to see this. Like the movie's set up for tragedy um, and then he just gives him that money and he goes, go have fun and sit at the gay bar. It was quite oh, lovely, yeah. even though the actual oh, scenario is amazingly lovely. <laughs> it's very weird. Oh, Not sure. going to talk to you but... on the whole trip. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I thought that was absolutely glorious to, to, yeah, that unconditional love and support. And please go be yourself. And he has a club. And mm. yeah, oh, I thought that was lovely. The family relationship in uh, Marjan's situation uh, with Catherine Deneuve and Sean Penn. I shouldn't keep calling them that. They're actually <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Satrapi. But, um, you know, to be fair. Um, but, you know, they were so lovely and supportive. And when she says, mm. look, I'll come home, but please don't ask me any questions about Vienna. And they don't. And there's the yeah. unconditional love and support. And please come back to us, daughter and all that that was really lovely I couldn't have been doing with any more heartbreak if you get what I mean it's like the under the underlying stories but in both films were heavy enough I don't need you being ostracized by your family or or anything or or anything horrible happening in that regard even though that would be um reasonable yeah Sarah if you know you're a you know I think of you as a a progressive um, independent enlightened intelligent educated woman well jeremy thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad we had this talk <laughs> i think about um her mother and yes 
think think of yourself living in New Zealand and a kind of extremist Christian regime rises up that requires you to cover yourself and um, you know succumb to your husband in, in, in far more explicit ways publicly and how would you know in two years on and you still want to call it your home I don't know I'm just interested how would you navigate that what what would, what would be your thinking Whoa, that's a massive question. I'm not even sure how to deal with that. I guess my instinct would be, well, I wouldn't put up with it and I'd go live somewhere else. Um, um, but I, and I'm not being, I'm not, um, you know, quavering on that because I doubt that. It's just that I've never really thought about that as a as a thing. One thing I'd like to say is this, um, and this is on behalf of Muslim women who do not feel that it is, um, oppressive for them to have to cover their hair, for example. And I know that there are degrees of uh, how much uh, Muslim women are covered, and some are completely head to toe, and there's no face, and others, you, the eyes are allowed to show, and others, that just the face is allowed to show. And obviously, what we're seeing from Marjan's situation is sort of civilian clothing, if you will, um, with a, a scarf over the hair. Now, I think there's a danger as a Western woman that we look at that through our lens and go, oh my God, that's so oppressive. You should be allowed to have your hair out for anyone to see it. No, seriously, <laughs> that's my disparaging voice for people who I think are being well-meaning but ignorant. And <laughs> I actually know, I actually know that there are many, many Muslim women who say, well, actually, the idea behind it is that your hair is sacred and your hair, therefore, is something so precious and beautiful and sacred that it is only to be shared with your most, your, your nearest and dearest, i.e. your husband. And therefore, it's actually uh, an, an honor almost to, to, to keep your hair that other people aren't seeing it so that when you're with your husband, that's quite a meaningful uh, expression of connection. Do you know what I mean? And just because it isn't mine as a Pakia woman growing up in, in, in a, a British New Zealand household doesn't mean it isn't a completely legit way of seeing that tradition. I think then, of course, you can flip that and say, but hang on a second, where's that tradition come from? Has it come from a patriarchal society? How come the men are allowed to walk around in whatever? And Marjan actually makes a brilliant point in the university, doesn't she? When she gutsily stands up and says, mm. why are the men allowed to wear tight trousers? And there's that gloriously awful shot of the fellow sitting with his legs akimbo <laughs> in the very, very tight jeans. And um, and she makes an absolutely valid point. And so actually you think, yeah, it's, it's also very hypocritical. But I just want to say, I just wanted to make that point. You know, I think we have to be super careful not to assume through our own lens, uh, you know, it's all right for me to wear a midriff top or a bikini or whatever, and there's nothing wrong with that because it's legit for people to say, well, actually, I think that's too much. And I think actually, for me at my age, it is too much. But that's a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you, Sarah, and I and I guess that's a really good point to bring up. But I mean, the film's making a pretty clear case, at least for Majan's yeah. mother and yeah. grandmother, that they are very intelligent. It, that's not to say people who that sounds like I'm being prejudiced, but I'm just thinking like they clearly have a depiction and idea of what it means to be a woman. I mean, the mother even says, "I need you to leave because this is not what I wanted for you." Yes, and I and I guess I think about that and what would 
what would I do if, if New Zealand went a similar way? And the alternative was I never get to see my family again. I, mm. I just don't know what I would do. Yeah, that's well, that, that's a different question. If you're saying the Sophie's choice of do you give up the freedoms in order to be around the people that you love or do you stand up for what you really care about? Well, mm. I mean, welcome to 2022 almost anywhere in the world, sort of, I guess, you know. Um, mm. uh yeah, it's big. It's interesting. It's making me think of like, so, you know, something I've never had to think about until I was with Josh is, oh, I need to check those holidays we're going on that it's safe for homosexuals to go. Yeah. Because, um, you know, before that, when I wasn't with someone, it wasn't even a consideration. Mm. It was like, oh, cool, I can go there. I can go. But, but you know, places like the Cook Islands, for instance, where I went, they have, um, it's illegal to be homosexual in that, pla- that nation. You oh, wouldn't wow. think of that. No. Um but there are places around the world that, yeah. So anyways, it's just an interesting, it's just interesting. The film brings up things that are very contextual to both characters' journeys and lives. Mm. But from that, you know, you can extrapolate very relevant um, tensions. What do you think, William? We're sort of- I, I, I think, so I, I'm, my mind is bouncing off in a slightly different direction. Speaking of contextual and, you know, the, the different, I guess, social mores of, of different societies, um, the the way the films, I think both films are being received is also fascinating to me. Um, like Persepolis, uh, it's extremely surprising that they actually showed it in Iran after after Cannes, right? There was some government, I think a government splinter group was, was protesting it. And then um, there were a bunch of uh, like Iranian academics who were saying this is actually fantastic for the country and great representation. Um, so it is it is well represented as Iranian cinema, uh, mm. you know, with some censorship for uh, sexual content. Whereas on the flip side, Persepolis, since since the comics came out, and then especially since the film, um, has been such a context, contested text in American high schools. Right, it's one of the top ten most controversial books. Uh, Mouse is also in, on this mm, list, um, mm. the Art uh, Spiegelman uh, comic about the Holocaust. Yeah, um, and they're they're both works that I think have very very strong detractors um, and people lobbing school boards saying children shouldn't be able to see why, this. Why? This is you know anti-American values. Oh, and it's okay. It's nuts. Like on the one hand, you know the the. <laughs> For Persepolis, the country that it really, you know, the, the author spends her entire time lambasting is willing to accept it with cuts. And on the other hand, you have, you know, American conservatism, uh, conservatism being fully not on board with this and saying that we, we cannot allow our young people to be uh, open to these ideas. Uh, I find that super fascinating. This is an interesting consideration or what you're saying, William, uh, based off the back of um, the New Zealand Histories curriculum just mm. being released this week. Yeah. And I have had a look at it and it's really, it's, it's really exciting. I find it really exciting. And I was like, this is great. It's very um, easy to engage with. It's, I mean, coming from the, the you know, the work that we've all done and do in, in the teaching, it's, yeah, Māori stories, Pacific stories, and then the kind of colonization story are really relevant things to be learning. But from my understanding, it's, it is getting some um, backlash from similarly positioned um, New Zealanders, I guess nas- nationalists, or mm-hmm. not national in terms of the party, in terms of um, 
that yeah. similar pat- sort of patriot patriotic colonial mm-hmm. perspective yeah i'm off social media team it's great i'm being lent <laughs> at the moment no social media and i'm missing all of this stuff so yes. i'm, I'm oh, never wow. gonna rely on others but Tell me, please tell me if I'm, is that what, do you, is that what you understand, William? Good for you. Um, I, I'm also off social media. Um, I actually, all I do is go to Instagram and watch cat videos. There's a, <laughs> a specific cat called Hosiko who is Russian. Yeah. Um, and with everything that's happening in Eastern Europe right now, is still posting daily updates. So um, they must be doing okay in Moscow, oh. uh, getting past the firewalls by VPNs and whatnot. Uh, but that's that's my social media life. Mm. So yes, I have also avoided a lot of this stuff. Have you heard anything uh, with, with being over in the UK, Sarah, in regards to the New Zealand histories? Sometimes when I want a little bit of uh, relief from all of the Ukraine war um, news over here in the UK, I do indeed check in on the New Zealand news. Uh, so yeah, I've seen a little bit and I, I appreciate <laughs> that the ACT Party in particular, I think, uh, are being lambasted, to use William's awesome word from earlier. Um for not being entirely supportive of the curriculum. And uh, so, yeah, I know only know a little. But I did just want to say, switching back to what William said, um, I've just looked online, actually, done a little bit of a, a Google. Don't know if you guys have heard of Google, but it's actually a really good way of, like, getting fans. <laughs> um, but also, just so just to say, according to this, the book and the film of Persepolis are banned in Iran. So I don't know if they've been unbanned more recently than, than this. Um, uh- William. Oh, okay. I, I'm pretty sure in 2008, um, it was pretty widely distributed. Um, uh, maybe it's since been banned. Um, but yeah, my understanding was it. that, uh, especially during the film fest circuits, like it was pretty openly, you know, seen by right. people in Iran. So I, I, I've talked to Iranian friends who were in Iran uh, back in 2007, 2008, who went to see the movies in cinemas and had a good time. Yeah, actually, I'm just reading as you scroll down on old Google, it does say it was banned initially, temporarily banned in... Oh, no, sorry. This says book and film banned in Iran, film temporarily banned in Lebanon, but then the ban in Lebanon was rescinded due to public outrage. But in any event, I think it's fair to say um, those Iranian filmmakers often have quite a hard time um, being able to do their work freely. Uh, I think Asghar Fahadi is, is one who is able to do his work uh, mm-hmm. with his slice of life uh, films uh, about the Iranian people. But I know that there are others who have had to go abroad and, uh, and that's the end of that. So yes, tricky times. It's an interesting, it's a really interesting thing eh, when somebody's story is so heavily censored and that somebody's own experience would be so dangerous to the regime. And, and I'm talking about America actually, and what you're talking about, William, um, that these stories that are that are designed to, you know, unpack very real issues that have happened to real people, and yeah, it's it's just concerning. And and it's like often I listened to that podcast here that you suggested to us a while ago. You're wrong about, mm. and where they they you know unpack sort of common topics that people think they know about, and then they look at the truth and you know how things have gone. And they talk a lot about, you know, this, the the panic around the children. You know, it always sort of mm. seems to come back. Our children is the is the great panic point that um, shuts down, pushes through, or, or disrupts things that 
really can hurt others. And I think about that debate in the States about Mouse and mm. Persepolis. You know, think of the children. It's like, I think the kids will be fine. The ones that want to read it yeah. will, will learn something. And then if, yeah, it's just, it's a really fascinating thing. And it's the same with, thing with this histories, um, uh, you know, piece. And, and I guess it's always going to throw up a debate when you're claiming a, a sort of a national identity that is, that is perhaps different to the, to the one that's been told and, and far and wide. Absolutely right, Jeremy. And often the criticism actually comes because there are people who are saying, well, hang on a second, you can't speak for everybody. So I appreciate absolutely that there will be pockets of the Iranian population who say, well, this is not my experience. And actually, I don't think this is a helpful message for the world. And that's probably the pushback that we're getting about the mm -hmm. New Zealand history uh, curriculum um, in New Zealand is the fact that there are some people who don't feel that that is our history and it's not necessary and let's not go on about it and why can't we all just move forward and blah, 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 and that sort of thing. So, yeah, absolutely. It's it's not even necessarily this is a threat to, to um, uh, something didactic that I'm trying to to push. It's just this doesn't represent what I think and therefore, you know, it's not worth discussing, you know, which irritates me beyond belief and I'm sure it irritates you as well. Well, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Because... You know, the same with the uh, Iranian government banning this film and, and America. It just goes to show how important these texts are because if it's causing that much um, fear or, or mm. it's, it's... Consternation. Yeah, it's like, well, okay, you know, and I was saying yesterday when I heard about the pushback of the New Zealand history thing, I was like, well, it's just proving that we need this. Mm. And even if you disagree with it, you still can, should be able to handle it in your discourse that there's... Mm. These Bring stories. in the children. What yeah. about our kids? Yeah, what about the kids? <laughs> Speaking of kids, um, can we uh, kind of finish up by talking about the the stylistic touches once again of both these films? Because I I just find it fascinating that these are you know basically biopics. One's autobiographical, the other one's semi autobiographical. Um, done in animation, mm. and yeah, the two styles are very very different. Perceptus is is done in that mid-aughts, you know, um, uh, ink and negative space. Uh, I'm thinking of stuff like uh, Scott Pilgrim as well, which came slightly later. Um, and whereas you have Flea, which is very much um, limited frame rate, uh, very, very expressive, almost, um, I would say, storyboard-like features. Mm. Uh, and yet their, their faces and, and movements tell so much. And it's, I think both films are, really really beautiful um really really well made and express their themes through animation through their styles quite well the most german expressionist um kind of moment in persepolis was when the two nuns oh. uh or you know the two i don't know if they're nuns actually but the two um the two sisters or they they find it with the tape and they're sort of like they're like they're kind of they turn into blobs yeah. or like they're just with faces black kind of blobs with faces and they move and they they are oh, so such a cool moment uh, i think one of the things i will say about Persepolis, uh, even though i just praised the animation a second ago uh, and going back to my previous point um at the beginning of of this recording like i i do find some of it to actually feel really dated though um a lot of the animation re reminded me of stuff like batman the animated series using yeah. the darks and shadows Except because I guess it was filmed in standard definition, 
watching it on the HD screen now, everything seems very soft and blurry, and I don't think that was the intention. Um, you compare that to something like French Dispatch, right? There's a fantastic animated sequence in that movie, and the lines are crystal clear. Like, they're so sharp, you could cut your finger on it. And Persep that's what the comic art of Perceptus is like. And then with the film, maybe because of how it was produced, it dulls a lot of the edges, and it, it feels like it loses a little bit of impact. I think it looks cheaper than it intends to be. Um, overall, I, I highly recommend you guys read the, the two uh, albums, the comics. I, I do think they do, they do tell the story a little better. Like a lot of the comic book frames are translated basically one-to-one -one in the film. And yet it reminded me of stuff like, you know, Zack Snyder's comic book adaptations, like 300 or Watchmen, where he was so hell-bent on preserving the, the frame, framing nature of the comic book that you lose some of that, that beautiful pacing in between the frames. Um, and yes, this is Majan uh, Satrapi adapting her own work, but even then, mm. it just, whereas the comic book, uh, the, it presents these little vignettes and it's, you know, they're so self-contained and you turn a page and it's a new one. I find in the film, it really lends the film a staccato nature. There's lots of fade-ins and fade-outs, and the pacing doesn't quite work as well as a film. Uh, sorry, the pacing doesn't quite work as a film as well as it does in the comic book. So I, I found that to be super fascinating and something I just picked up now watching it, you know, uh, 15 years later. That's uh, interesting you the say that. the context of, of films. William, I have to say, I don't agree. My experience of Persepolis wasn't like that. I liked the staccato. I thought the pacing was incredible. I mm. thought that the, 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 I loved all of the black and white. And it reminded me of um, Lottie Reininger, the, this uh, German, the German animator from, well, I guess, was she the war years or something, who did the, the, the fairy tales with the, the silhouettes. And there were a lot of silhouettes, right, in, in uh, Persepolis, as well as the the very straightforward black outline and all that sort of thing, which I found, well, I mean, I think it's really interesting. I mean, we keep saying interesting, my gosh, I hope no one's doing a drinking game when they listen to this and play it back and they drink every time we say interesting, but it is. Please do do a drinking game, listeners. Yeah, why not? Let us know how many we've done. Because <laughs> it is interesting to think that somebody would take the story of the most traumatic aspect of their life and find a way to to animate it. And you said right at the beginning, Jeremy, that, you know, for Flea, there was a tactical reason because everybody needs to be kept anonymous. But it's also and an, an enchanting way of telling a hard story, and it doesn't lose any impact. It doesn't, neither of the films softens the blow um, because the story is so uh, critical. Um, you know, and I, uh, we've probably said when we've talked about animation films uh, in the past that, you know, traditionally they are a child's genre and therefore traditionally they may have felt as though they were accompanying a childlike story. These are very much adult stories. And the Persepolis animation in particular seems pretty sort of um, basic. I don't mean that rudely, as you say. It's, she's, she's, she's adapting her own work and it totally works. But um yeah, interesting choice of genre, in, uh, medium rather, medium for, for such an, uh, an important story. Well, I think for, for Flea, the animation also serves the dual purpose of being able to express things that are not possible visually, right? The, all those breaks where it turns into charcoal drawings, uh, um, 
and you you see kind of just this visceral reaction to terror or to sadness or depression or claustrophobia mm. that that scene with the refugees inside the um the packing container was horrifying oh container. my gosh Mm. Um, and mm. just being able to to visualize things that Amar has you know locked away in his memory, I thought was super powerful and reminded me a lot of the tale of Princess Kagura, um, the Studio Ghibli film, um, where there's there's a sequence in that. I mean, the whole movie is pretty, very very pretty. It's all watercolor, and there's a sequence where the titular princess um, tries to break away from her very very you know closed, uh, cloistered life. And it turns into just a series of low frame rate charcoal drawings and it bursts into life like blacks and whites and scratchy stuff. And it felt like Flea was really drawing from that kind of mm-hmm. energy. And every, every time it did so with the, you know, the faceless policemen uh, in Russia and their eyes being pure white, just amazing stuff. And yes. just so terrifying and, and visceral, like feeling what the author was, was trying, to, trying to express. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or Instagram, which are great places to let us know what you think of this episode, or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, and until then, nor am I.